quite unusual. Hello and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. We are your hosts. I, of course, am Nicole. And I, of course, am Noelle. That was a lie. We're lying to you. We're not. We're opposites. I love it when people don't know who we are. I know. But then also, sometimes people will DM us pictures and be like, this you? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Wait, they DM you a picture of you of us of us and be like this one's nicole this one's noelle and are they right nine times out of ten really yeah okay yeah i feel like it's because i look like the kind of person that would just belt out an elton john song in the middle of a grocery store and people know that do you really well i don't feel like i look like any type of person (laughs) are you kidding me you look you look more nicole the shy one no, you're not the shy one. I am the shy one. You're the deep, mysterious, dangerous one. The, Do you have I, a knife? You I, don't take out your switchblade, Nicole. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh my god, you psychopath! It's my purse switchblade. <laughs> this is my Sunday switchblade. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, people, welcome to the podcast. We are quite unusual. We are, and also that's the name of our show. Yeah, and I'm Nicole, and I'm Noelle. Psych. Psych, bitch. I want to talk about the bad things. Of summer? That's us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We put out a very, very fun show. If you have not listened to it, we Mm -hmm. hung out with our cute little baby podcast friends. Some very talented podcasters. Oh, my God. Like hot, hot tater tot babies Hot, hot tater tots. So if you have not checked out our episode that came out Friday, The Bad Things of Summer, hosted by the... KMH podcast. You're going to love it. It's very fun. It's a collection of us and our little baby podcast friends doing the thing that we do, which is screaming to microphones. And for some reason you <laughs> listen to it and you like it. I don't know why. Yeah. It's a little, a little bonus for you guys. So mm. I hope you like it. Just a little treat. You can have an episode. A tasty a treat. little treat. Ooh, you know, like a little, little treat, little, I'm unscrewing a bottle right now. I'm so sorry, everyone. A giant water bottle. It's it's only a liter and a half. <laughs> only? <laughs> Nicole. Yeah. You want a vacation. Please tell me about it. I did go on vacation. Um, I'm a little sunburnt. You are so cute. Your little nose My is nose like. My nose is very sunburnt and peeling. I was cyberbullying you IRL and calling you Rudolph. And I'm really sorry, but I love you and you know I do. <laughs> I do look. I was calling myself Rudolph, so it doesn't matter. But I was on vacation in the great state of Michigan, a lot of beaches, a lot of sun. Actually, one of our listeners even d- DM'd me and was like, I think you're in my neighborhood. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm in your neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a lovely day for a neighbor. <laughs> so yeah. But now I'm back and I'm ready to get into the story and to get back to reality, I guess. Well, we need to talk about one more little trip because it's been on the mind. Oh. I'm singing too much and I hate it. But you always sing. I know. Miserable. It's what you do. I know. It's terrible. It's amazing. It's not. Okay. So you went on a trip and it's reminding me of a trip that we're going on in September, which is <gasps> nine weeks and six oh, days away. I and I can't wait to go. Wait. I cannot think of anything else that I've just been so wanting to go to. Oh, the hype is real. The hype is so real. I'm so it's stoked. Literally, I think about it every day. 
thinking about it right now which is why i want to bring it up yeah we're going to nashville we're going to new orleans so if anyone has recommendations we want restaurants we want haunts literal haunts Haunts. we We want want the actual haunts haunts. i want to put a ghost in my purse and take her home yeah we want to be weird in nashville and nola and we need your help we need your suggestions please Slipper slide into our DMs and send us all of those spooky, funky, fresh recommendations. Yeah, like if you know of like a really great taco or like a place Mm -hmm. to like get possessed by a demon. We want to know both of those those. places. Bonus points if it's the same place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Let us know. Nashville and NOLA. Mm -hmm. So... We're going in September, and I am going to say this, which is unsanctioned by Nicole, who is our boss, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please don't fire me, but we're going to plan. We're going to be like, hey, we will be at this bar in six hours. If you're not there, be square and also yeah. come and hang out with us and come like kiss us directly on the mouth because we're vaccinated. <laughs> we are vaccinated. It's so good. <laughs> so we will be doing that if you live Anywhere near Nashville or New Orleans, the beginning of September, we will be in your neck of the woods. Come kiss us on the lips. Do a little hangout, a mini hangout. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So give us your recommendations for the best hangouts, I guess. Yeah. And we'll, like, twerk on each other and it'll be so good. (laughs) Um, Again, unsanctioned. Nicole, please don't fire me. Uh, Today, we, if you guys haven't already guessed, we're going to talk about some murder. Oh, yeah. And pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And hometown crime. Hometown. So hometown. It's a weird combination. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about the Tylenol murders. Mm. This happened in Chicago, which local, I mean, go home team? The Bears. That's right. (laughs) All that. All right. Tylenol (laughs) murder. (laughs) The Tylenol murders were a series of mysterious poisonings linked back to bottles of Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pill, you know, the pill, the pain relief pill that you yeah. take that you can buy at any drugstore or Amazon. Your mom definitely has like a minimum of six to seven of these yeah. just loose at the bottom of her handbag oh, sure. at this moment. I know I do. I mean, you wouldn't be a mom if you don't have some pain relievers in your purse. Just like a loose <laughs> pill here and there. Loose like, pill. Oh, loose honey. Pill. Take the pill. You got a, you got a tummy ache? You got a tummy ache? Here's the Tums. Hold on. Hold on. Let me just pick this hair off of it. Okay. Gum wrapper? Don't eat that part. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. So without further ado, let's talk about pharmaceuticals and let's just... This isn't sponsored by Tylenol because it was poisoning people. Yeah. But, yeah. but Johnson & Johnson, if you're hearing, we want to talk to you. What's up? We want to we wanna touch your Johnson & Johnson. Wow. We're already starting with the Johnson. Joke. I'm sorry. There's gonna be a lot of dick jokes. I'll tone, I'll try to tone down. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay. 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 All right. Let's get started. Without shall we? further ado, the Tylenol murders. Let us go. All right. Well, on Wednesday, September 29th, 1982, around 6:30 a.m., Mary Kellerman, a 12-year-old seventh grader, woke up feeling sick. I actually found some conflicting info while I was researching. Some articles said Mary lived in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, and some articles also said Schomburg. So I'm not sure, but if for all of our non-locals of the Chicagoland area, Schomburg and Elk Grove are neighboring towns in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. 
And actually very close to where Noelle and I grew up. That's right. So it's it's kind of important later on in the story, which is why I'm bringing it up. But since we are a geography podcast, I had to specify. So this story basically takes place in our own backyards. It does. And you know what? I want to bring up because one of my very, very best friends lives in Elk Grove. Mm-hmm. And it is so close to Schaumburg yeah. that she is not allowed to legally use the Elk Grove Library. And she has to use the Schaumburg Library. But she lives in Elk Grove? It is so close. <laughs> it's practically the same town. Wow. Whoa. Is, oh, Owen Wilson, get out of my fucking <laughs> podcast studio. We've been over this. <laughs> He's gone. So hot right now, though. Let's He's be gone. honest. Yeah. So it's a part of the Chicagoland area. Yes. Um, if you're curious, because this is a general podcast, you uh, let us know. We'll send you a map. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Mary had a sore throat and a runny nose, so her parents decided to keep her home from school. And to ease her symptoms, Mary took one extra-strength Tylenol capsule. A little while afterwards, Mary went into the bathroom, and her dad, Dennis Kellerman, told the Chicago Tribune, I could hear her go into the bathroom. I heard the door close. Then I heard something drop. I went to the bathroom door and I called, Mary, are you okay? And there was no answer. I called again, Mary, are you okay? There was still no answer. So I opened the bathroom door and my little girl was on the floor unconscious. Oh, God. She was still in her pajamas. Awful. Mary's parents called 911 immediately and authorities were dispatched. Dave Spung, a paramedic, was called to the scene. He tried everything he could to try to help Mary, but nothing would resuscitate the poor girl. By 9.56 a.m., Mary Kellerman was pronounced dead at Alexian Brothers Medical Center in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. She was only 12 years old, and she would be the first victim. Terrible. Yeah. This is very sad. Yeah. We're going to try to make it fun. But it's, it's not a good time. It's not. Not a good time. No. Edmund Donahue, chief medical examiner for Cook County, was notified of her death because they wanted to do a full autopsy. Obviously. There wasn't anything suspicious at the time, but since she was only 12 years old, they needed answers. Yeah, like, like I know it happens a lot in movies and shows and stuff, but generally, human beings don't drop dead. Not at the age of 12. No, not so much. Mary's parents were both interviewed, and they both had the exact same story. Mary felt ill, so they were keeping her home from school, and they administered Tylenol to soothe her symptoms. The only medication listed on the report actually was Tylenol, but that really didn't flag anyone's attention as... Everyone took Tylenol. I mean, it was the most popular pain reliever at the time. That very same day, a 27-year-old postal worker from Arlington Heights, Illinois, a neighboring town to Mary's, named Adam Janis, took a sick day from work as he too was not feeling well. He felt as if he were coming down with a cold. Adam went to pick up his kids from preschool and he stopped at the local Jewel, which is a very popular grocery store chain in illinois if you're not aware it's so funny because i when i was reading through like contemporary articles and stuff uh-huh. it said like oh we stopped at the jewel and stuff and mm-hmm. i totally understand what that means yeah. but if you're not from the 
Midwest or Illinois. It's like Illinois specific, yeah. basically. You would never know. That. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just so funny. Yeah. So Jewel is a grocery store for anyone who's confused. So he stops at Jewel and he buys some Tylenol. He brought his kids home. He gave them some lunch. And he decides that he's going to take two Tylenol and lie down because he still isn't feeling well. A few minutes after ingesting the Tylenol, Adam collapses in his kitchen. Adam is then rushed to Northwest Community Hospital, where doctors try to resuscitate him, but at that point it's too late. At 3.15 p.m., Adam is pronounced dead. Thomas Kim, the medical director of Northwest Community Hospital, told the Chicago Tribune that he signed Adam out as a probable cardiac arrest. Thomas Kim said he explained this to the family. Adam's wife, Teresa, his parents, and a bunch of his family were all at the hospital. After hearing the bad news, they all went back to Adam's home in Arlington Heights to just reconvene and, I guess, talk about funeral arrangements and all sort that of kind of yeah, stuff. Just, like, deal with what the fuck just happened, you exactly. know? Exactly. Around the same time, a 27-year-old woman named Mary Lynn Reiner from Winfield, Illinois, started to feel ill. Now, Winfield, Illinois, is a bit further from Arlington Heights, mm-hmm. the Arlington Heights Elk Grove area. It doesn't neighbor either of those towns, so it's a little bit more southwest from the area, but it's still within driving distance, I would say, 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's still considered Chicago land. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mary had just recently given birth to her fourth child. I mean, literally, the baby was a week old. This is, it breaks my fucking yeah. heart. And at the time, she was not feeling too hot, so Mary took some Tylenol. Like the others, she collapsed to the floor. Her husband, Ed Reiner, entered the home right as Mary was falling to the floor. He called an ambulance, and Mary was rushed to Central DuPage Hospital, where she too was pronounced dead the next day. Mind you, this is all happening in the same day, so just remember that. So if you remember Adam Janice and his family, they went back to his home to discuss funeral mm-hmm. arrangements. While the family was there, Adam's younger brother, Stanley Janice, just 25 years old at the time, he had chronic back pain. So he asks his wife, Teresa, to get him some Tylenol to relieve the pain. Teresa, who was just 19 years old herself, gives Stanley two Tylenol and takes two herself because she had come down with a headache and they both collapse. Paramedics arrived at the scene and everything that happened to Stanley would happen to Teresa just a few minutes later. It's so sad because it it seems like such a like a first step, you know, like you mm-hmm. you feel like shit. You have a fever, you have a headache, whatever, right? right? So you take, like, the most rational first minor step you can, Mm -hmm. and you take a Tylenol or an Advil or an aspirin. You take that little tiny pill to just kind of, like, take the edge off. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sick, but, like, I don't want to go to the doctor yet, so I'll just, like, try to, like, take it in control with this. And you fucking die. Yeah. It's terrible. It's really hard to, like kind of reconcile with because right. i mean how many times have you taken tylenol aspirin advil any of that so shit many times <laughs> so many times so many times you just don't think about it you yeah. just take it i know nurse helen jensen at northwest community hospital in arlington heights notified dr kim that the janices were coming back but this time it was his brother and his brother's wife and at this point 
they're starting to realize that something is going on here. Mm-hmm. Nurse Jensen starts asking the other Teresa, who was Adam's wife. So both brothers were married to a Teresa, which is kind of funny. One with an H, one without. One with an H, Very one different. without. One's Teresa, the other is Teresa. Teresa and Teresa. Uh-huh. So Nurse Helen starts asking Adam's wife, the, the first man who passed away. And she's basically just trying to get anything she can to try to figure out what's going on with the family. And investigators actually go back to the house to try to see to see if they can sort of piece these deaths together. Stanley Janis passed away that night, and his wife, Teresa Janis, passed away two days later. Mm. At 6.30 p.m. that very same day, a woman named Mary McFarland, who was a 31-year-old from Elmhurst, Illinois, got sick and goes home from work. She told coworkers that she had a bad headache. Her brother, Jack Eliason, said he didn't know how many she took, but within minutes, she was on the floor. Mary passed away the next morning. During this time, though, Nurse Jensen and investigator Nick Fischos with the medical examiner's office, they go to the Janice residence to look around. And at first, they didn't really find anything out of the ordinary. But then someone mentioned that they did some metalworking in the basement, And then sometimes with metalwork, I guess cyanide could be used for polishing? Yeah, I did did see that. Mm -hmm. But they went into the basement and they really couldn't find any connections, so they kind of wrote that off. But then Nurse Jensen, who is really the real MVP of the story, she found the Tylenol bottle. Mm -hmm. And she noticed that there were six capsules missing. And there were three people dead. So she takes the Tylenol bottle back and she brings it to the hospital. Nurse Jensen was completely convinced it was the Tylenol, but no one believed her at first. But they really didn't have any other leads, so when she suggests the Tylenol, they kind of just went with it. And luckily enough, the Elk Grove police had inventoried their Tylenol bottle from the 12-year-old Mary Kellerman, her case, Because it was mentioned as the only thing that she had taken that day. Yeah, like they were sort of trying to collect evidence, it seemed like, and there was a bottle of Tylenol laying on the ground, and they're like, well, we'll just tag this and bag it, like whatever. It wasn't like a real, like, they didn't, yeah, they didn't suspect it. Yeah, but they happened to grab it, Mm -hmm. luckily. Dr. Kim suspected it may be cyanide poisoning, but he didn't really know where it could have come from. So he sent a test for cyanide, and he sent samples of the blood from the victims to be tested. While comparing the two bottles, investigator Fischos noticed that that both bottles had the same control numbers, which were MC2880. And while he was on the phone with the deputy medical examiner, the deputy medical examiner told him to smell the bottles. And when he tells him this, he smells the bottles and he smells almonds. Yeah, so we talked about this in the Jonestown episode a little bit. Um, Cyanide smells like bitter almonds. Yeah. And to be completely honest, I don't know what that means. The only thing I can think of is almond, which obviously smells delicious. Yeah, I'm thinking in my mind like almond soaps. But wrong. But not. Yeah, it's it's hard to picture. Because it's like a bitter almond. So I always picture like almond and it's like delicious and like an almond extract and so good, right? Right. But then like... The worst possible version of that? Mm -hmm. 
Like it burns your nose a little bit. Yeah, is but what it still I smells like almonds. Yeah. But did you know that fun fact? Only about 50% of the population has the gene to actually smell cyanide. What? Yeah. I didn't know this, but apparently around 40% of the population doesn't carry the gene that detects the odor. Is this is this one of those things where, like, people who either love cilantro or think <laughs> it tastes like soap, is that one of those situations? People think cilantro tastes like soap dude it's so weird because i fucking what? love cilantro is delicious both of my brothers i'm a middle child both of yeah. my brothers think it tastes like soap what won't eat it mm-hmm. does anyone else think cilantro tastes like soap let us is that know a, it's, a, a it's a thing it's fully a thing what either you think it tastes like a delicious plant or it tastes like soap cilantro is one of my favorite plants to eat well you're lucky that's that it wow. doesn't taste like soap to you well, maybe. Maybe it is the same thing, but I didn't know that. Do you love eating soap? No, I love eating cilantro. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I didn't know that 50% of, well, around 50% of the population does not have the ability to smell cyanide. I didn't know that either. I wonder if we can. I know. Now I need to now smell I cyanide. Now I want to smell cyanide. Yeah. But thankfully, investigator Fishos had that gene, and when he relayed this info over the phone to the deputy, They both immediately knew it was cyanide poisoning. The next day, so this is Thursday, September 30th, Dr. Kim gets the lab results back, and the reports show extreme amounts of cyanide in the blood, 100 to 1,000 times more than would have been necessary to kill a human. At about 10 a.m. that Thursday, an attorney from Johnson & Johnson came to the medical examiner's office. He was shown the toxicology reports, and they explained the events that had transpired the day earlier. I mean, and it was just clear, the Tylenol was 100% to blame, and this was information that they couldn't keep from the public. I mean, they had to leak it. There's just no way around that. I mean, everyone has Tylenol in their house right now. Everyone listening, I bet has Tylenol in their house. The Chicago Tribune reports that the CEO of Cook County's medical examiner's office spoke with the CEO of the company that made Tylenol, McNeil Consumer Products, and he told him that there was going to be a press conference, and the CEO of the company that made Tylenol's reaction was, do you have to? Yeah. And the CEO of the medical examiner's office was like, do you have a better idea? And he was like, no, but do we have to? (laughs) Which is super fucked. Yeah, it's crazy fucked. But, I mean. You gotta do what you gotta do, you man. You gotta do I what mean, you gotta I mean, people are do. getting poisoned from a product, so maybe we should tell other people yeah. about that. So a press conference was held basically telling the community that maybe you should hold off on taking any Tylenol for a while. They didn't say it should be recalled, but they just warned people not to take it and not to buy it. At 3 p.m. that Thursday, the day after all of the events happened, Johnson & Johnson announced a recall of all Tylenol from lot MC2880. Authorities in the area acted fast, not knowing how many bottles may be contaminated. On Friday, October 1st, police discovered the body of 35-year-old flight attendant Paula Prince in her apartment in Chicago. Two days earlier, Paula had come down with a headache after getting off a flight from Vegas to O'Hare Airport 
and she stopped at a Walgreens at 1601 North Wells Street in Chicago to buy some Tylenol. Paula missed a dinner with her sister and then was due to work that Friday, but did not show up. So the police were called to do a well-being check, and what they found was a bottle of Tylenol sitting on her vanity. Mm. Police estimated that Paula had taken the Tylenol in the bathroom because they found her body dead in the threshold of the door. She had collapsed a few moments after she had consumed the pill. Yep. Just moments after. Moments after. There is actually security footage of Paula walking up to the register and buying the Tylenol at Walgreens. But, unfortunately, there were no cameras in the aisles, so there was no evidence of who could have put the bottles there. Yeah, this was like the time where security cameras weren't really the norm. Yeah. And they only really put security cameras on, like, the cashiers to make sure they weren't stealing money out of the till. Yeah. Yeah, so they didn't care about anything else except monitoring their employees. Mm -hmm. After Paula was found, the mayor of Chicago made the decision to pull all bottles of Tylenol off the shelves. A total of seven people in the Chicagoland area succumbed to the cyanide poisoning from the tainted Tylenol. Police established that the cyanide lacing had happened after the bottles left the factory. The tampered with bottles came from different pharmaceutical companies, and only people in the Chicagoland area were being affected. It was theorized that someone around the area had taken the bottles off of the shelf, laced the pills with poison, and returned the packages to the shelves to be bought by helpless victims. Besides the five bottles that were confiscated that led to the deaths, a few more bottles that were contaminated were discovered around the Chicagoland area. Right. As you were saying, the pills contained poison, right? Mm-hmm. The exact finding was that the majority of the pills were tamper- that were tampered with contained 65 milligrams of potassium cyanide. And when I think of poison, this is maybe just me, mm-hmm. I think of cyanide first. Yeah, I think Jonestown did that to us. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably like a Jonestown thing, yeah. right? I wanted to briefly go over what happens to your body when you ingest potassium cyanide. First off, I just was, when I was Googling cyanide, which I have Googled a lot of things about cyanide recently. Uh Uh-oh. So um, my designated FBI agent, hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. Nice to hear from you. So I just want to say that um, my favorite thing that I found about cyanide so one of the most interesting things that I found about cyanide is that it used to be used in a gaseous form to perform corporal punishment. So like the death penalty, oh, if you will. Okay. But the death was, was deemed too violent and too cruel. So it was discontinued. So the gas that they used to kill people with yeah, government cyanide. sanctioned yes. murder, the death penalty. This was deemed way too violent to die of cyanide poisoning. Wow. And all of these people, including a 12-year-old girl, are dying of cyanide poisoning, RN, right? Mm -hmm. So basically what happens in layman's terms is that you suffocate. Sort of like when you're drowning in water, but without the water. Oh, okay. Potassium cyanide inhibits the cells from taking in oxygen. So you're breathing air. 
that like you're fully capable of expanding your lungs and breathing, mm -hmm. but your body isn't able to metabolize the oxygen that it's taking in. So you're breathing, but your body just isn't responding. Yeah. To it. Ugh. It's devastating. Wow. So sometimes you convulse, you always lose consciousness, and then eventually your brain begins to die. Usually, though, your heart beats for like a few minutes, like three, four minutes after this occurs. So you're in incredible pain and you're not dead yet until you go completely brain dead and then your heart stops beating. Jeez. Oh, All of this happens within a second if the dose is large, which in this case, the children that died, it was extremely large. Even for the people, if you're taking two 65 milligram yeah. capsules full of cyanide, that is a massive dose of cyanide. Well, and each, well, they said that it was 100 to 1,000 times uh -huh. more than the lethal dose. So everyone who was taking it was just, there was no shot, no chance. Absolutely. So it happened in moments. Like literally, mm -hmm. like you swallowed the pill, it you broke open. Seconds later, yeah. you are dying of cyanide yeah. poisoning. Oh, also, the victim, it's very traumatic. The victim from mm -hmm. bright red. What? So, yeah, like, I'm talking, like, razzle red here, not, like, tongue red, okay? Like, bright fucking razzle red. Razzle red? Yeah. <laughs> because the tissue isn't able to use any of the oxygen that's in the blood. So you're breathing in air, obviously, as, yeah. as one does, right? Mm -hmm. And the oxygen is going into your blood, again, as one does. But the cells are, like, prohibited from using that oxygen. So the blood becomes just like basically dead and you turn bright red and it's super, super scary to see. Mm -hmm. If you want to get fucked up in the head, Google cyanide victim. No. Well, I'm going to do it after Google this. You know, I will. you know I will. I can't believe you haven't. I know. I'm it's present. <laughs> it's for sure dark. All right. Anyways, let's get into this investigation. So during the time, this was like the single biggest news story. Mm -hmm. There was a psychological profile released in conjunction with this hot tip line being set up. Because as you said, it was noted that this was only happening in the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. It was sort of in the same lot number, but not necessarily. Yeah. Coming from different pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. So they came up with this theory that it was sort of like a mad poisoner. It wasn't okay. happening in the supply line. Yeah, it was somebody taking the bottles off of the shelf right. and poisoning Which them. Which you mentioned. So they're taking them back. home, replacing these capsules with cyanide, yeah. and putting it back on the shelf. Yeah. So the profile that they set up for this person that supposedly was doing this, or that they thought was doing it, is fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> they said it was a man. Definitely a man. Mm, definitely yeah. in his out. 20s or 30s. Probably white. Yeah, checks out. They were depicted as being very mild-mannered by day, and then a madman, just a complete lunatic by night. Okay. Mm -hmm. They said that he would probably have been plagued with self-doubt, and he had an illusion that a random killing would boost his self-worth. Wow. Yeah, they really spooked it up by saying maybe he is working in the cubicle next to you, but by night, he's poisoning children. Okay. Yeah, they also fear. There's a lot of fear in this. Yeah, it got profile. really, it got really weird. They also weirdly speculated the killer may have already taken his life. What? Yeah, but I have a feeling that that was to sort of ease the minds of the public. Like, 
Oh, like, oh, yeah. he's probably already dead. So all of the capsules that are on the shelves, like, that's it. Like, Don't he worry about it. He put it out there. He's like, oh, good, I killed a couple people. Okay, bye. Now he's done. Mm-hmm. Now. This hotline that was set up received over 20,000 tips. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. With 1,200 of them being considered credible suspects. Oh, my God. All 1,200 were followed up with, which is massive. Yeah. The hotline was operated by 140 people, all hired by Johnson & Johnson. Well, good. I mean, they are a very, very rich company, so Mm -hmm. I would hope that they would be (laughs) contributing something to this. Well, Johnson's super wealthy, but, like, Johnson is, like, he's not doing great. One of the Johnsons Yeah, like, Johnson's, like, live in large, and then Johnson's Johnson's sort of, like, he has a lot of credit card debt. There's Johnson and there's Johnson. Yeah, it's like, hello, I'm Johnson, and then it's like... Hey, I'm Johnson. <laughs> hey, I'm Johnson. Hey, I'm Johnson. That's the you bad are. Johnson. You got any scratchers? Yeah, definitely Johnson. Can I bum a 20 off of you? Oh, he's Johnson is bumming 20s. Yeah, and then Johnson sure. is like, <laughs> what is a 20? I only carry hundreds, darling. <laughs> <laughs> but Johnson's fiending for it. <laughs> so a man named James William Lewis, who he has three names. Don't trust him. He does have three names. <laughs> never trust a man with three names. Never. 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 James William Lewis was the number one suspect in 1982 for one pretty obvious reason. He sent a $1 million extortion letter to Johnson & Johnson saying, if you give me $1 million, the killing will stop. Okay. Okay. And everyone was like, hmm, all right, he has the power to stop the killing. (laughs) We're going to just investigate JWL really quick. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we're going to do that. So clearly you're admitting guilt, JWL, that's what we're calling him. Yeah, fully. So because of that, which is just truly fucking bizarre. It's unhinged. uh Uh-huh. Investigators did what they do best, and they investigated him. And they found out that he had a, quote, troubled past. I just want to put a pin in this really quick it is the fourth of july yeah so if you hear any like random like fireworks booms in the background Uh it's just america popping off on her birthday america's birthday so Mm -hmm. happy birthday america hey girl you look good for your age it's not like a weird sound thing happening (laughs) no so super sorry fireworks tons of fireworks happening right now and we're just we're dealing with it so super sorry yeah Back to JWL. He had previously been charged with assault for breaking his adopted father's ribs. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Casual yes. ribs, plural. That'll, that'll do it. That'll he was, do it. He was prone to flying into fits of rage, and he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia earlier in his life. This doesn't seem like enough to profile a person, even if they sent a weirdly threatening letter. <gasps> If you're sending a letter of admitting guilt, I think that's enough to profile a person. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe. But there's also just so much more to this dude. Oh, okay. After graduating from the University of Missouri, go Bulldogs? What's their mascot? I don't know. I don't live in Missouri. Go Missouris. The Missies. Ooh. Missies. The Missies. That's got to be their, he was, that's their mascot. It has he was, to be. He was a Missouri Missy. We're going to offend someone by saying that. I don't care. <laughs> So he met his wife, Leanne, at the University of Missouri. Go Missies! 
JW, <laughs> Jesus Christ, JWL began working as an accountant alongside his wife. They both got into a fight with the owner of the company that they were working for, and they both just quit immediately. That's ballsy. Same day. Ballsy. It's a, it's a power move. <laughs> That's for sure. And then a day later, they met a man named Raymond West. He was a 72-year-old retired truck driver, and they took him on as a private client because, I'm going to assume, they needed the money. Well, they both just walked out of their jobs, so yeah. I couldn't find what the fight was about, but I'm going to guess it was something stupid like, yeah, you use an electric pencil sharpener, <laughs> and I hate the noise, and I bought you a manual pencil sharpener, mm. and still you insist on using the electric one, and that's just not going to work for me or my wife. JWL just really loved his afternoon popcorn. Oh, but my the God. thing was that he would burn it every mm-hmm. single day, and the every whole day. office would just smell like burnt popcorn. Is there anything fucking worse? And his boss was sick of it, and he he left. He just he couldn't take it. He asked him kindly to stop yeah. doing it, and, and JWL <laughs> popped the fuck yeah. off, just like that popcorn he always burned. Pop pop, motherfucker. <laughs> So a short while after meeting him, Raymond West went missing. Ooh. A note from James William Lewis's private accounting firm was found wedged in Raymond West's door. What? Suspicious. The note said that Raymond was out of town and to visit JWL for additional details. Kind of weird, right? I'm sorry. Is this guy just like into writing letters to the police to be like, hey, I did this crime. Uh, Come find me yeah. now. <laughs> it was like the Zodiac, but he didn't try. You he know? didn't like put anything into code. It was just he missed that completely. Yeah. Oh, he was he, he was not a good code writer. So he's <laughs> like, all right, I did a crime. Here's, Here's my, my address. Yeah. <laughs> Take it as you will. Yeah. Come and get me, coppers. Here's my address. Thank you. See you soon. But also, an amazing part of this story is that there was a letter, again, on the same letterhead, <laughs> on, Raymond, on Raymond West's coffee table that said, Raymond is sleeping. <laughs> Do not wake him up after 1 p.m. So you can wake him up any hour before 1 1- Yeah. But after 1 p.m. He's an afternoon napper. Okay. On yeah. his coffee table? On his coffee table. Same letterhead. From I... from from Wells letterhead. Okay. Okay. This, this is weird. Yeah. But... Three weeks after this initial investigation in which they found these bizarre-ass fucking mm-hmm. letters, the authorities went back and they found that Raymond West's body was actually dismembered, wrapped in sheets and garbage bags. And shoved into his attic. What? Mm-hmm. So they're looking for this guy. The note says he's not home right now. Okay. The note inside says he's home, but he's sleeping. So they're like, we're just going to let him sleep for three weeks, and mm. then we're going to check back on him. Like, it's after 1 p.m., so... <laughs> Damn it, it's one fifteen. So we'll have to come back, but I'm super busy for the next few weeks. So we'll come back later, like okay. at 10 a.m. Okay. Mm-hmm. They that- came back. And they're like, well, why are you cut up? I thought you were sleeping. Raymond. Oh, Raymond. Everybody loves you, but why are you dismembered in your own attic? (laughs) So this happened in August of 1978. 
And because of the awful decomposition of his body and because it is being, it's the throes of summer. So it's hot in a person's attic in Chicago. And you waited three weeks to come back and check on the guy after you read a note that said he was sleeping. (laughs) Check back tomorrow, not in three weeks. the hell, cops? So his body was super decomposed and the investigators were unable to determine the cause or date of death because it was basically human soup at this point. Shit. Mm-hmm. They were also unsure if the body had been in the house for three weeks prior to the check because of just the terrible state that it had been in. They couldn't tell any fingerprints, DNA evidence. It didn't know if it had been moved there recently. They had no idea because it was truly, I'm sorry to say this about a person, it was human soup. Yeah, that's a that's a huge mistake on the cops' uh, part there, I would say. I would say first mistake an investigator has ever made <laughs> as far as finding a body in due time. Yeah, that's he, he was probably there the whole time, but you read the note about not waking up him up before 1 o'clock. Uh-huh. So, wow. Yeah, okay. my bad. My bad. <laughs> it's 1230, and it's pretty close to 1, and I don't want to, like, wake the sleeping bear, so I'm just going to come back in three weeks. Wow. Okay. JWL was obviously arrested following the search of his house in which, you know, there was tons of his own letterhead and, you know, all of all of the things that they're finding in Raven's house, along with a tip that he had recently withdrawn $5,000 from Raymond West's bank account. What? And then immediately deposited that money into his own bank account. Dude, like you're basically shining a spotlight on yourself to be like, cops, arrest me for this man's death. If he had only written a note that was like, I didn't do it, and also I'm napping, come back later, it probably would have been fine. I mean, it at least would have given him three weeks. To skip town or something. Yeah, at, at the least. Fully. During the search of JWL's house, officers found rope, garbage bags, and a checkbook that belonged to Raymond West. JWL was charged with Raymond West's murder. Luckily for him, his trial was thrown out because all of the evidence was circumstantial. How is that circumstantial? They said, everyone has rope like this in their house. Everyone has garbage bags like this in their house. Everyone has your letterhead in their house. (laughs) So because of this super weird situation, he was deemed a huge threat and a suspect for the Tylenol murders. And oh, yeah, remember when he wrote that extortion (laughs) letter against Johnson & Johnson? Yeah, I remember when he basically said, hey, cops, I did it. And if you don't want me to do it anymore, pay me a million dollars. One million dollars. And everyone's like, that's not that much money. And he's like, one hundred billion (laughs) dollars. Also, I watched Austin Powers last night. Such a classic. It's a cinematic masterpiece. It is. It really is. So JWL, surprise, surprise, was convicted of extortion against Johnson and the other Johnson. (laughs) Both Johnsons. Both Johnsons in 1983. After serving 13 years of his 20-year sentence, he was paroled. Mm. He was never officially charged in the Tylenol murders, even though he was heavily suspected. He continued to deny involvement and responsibility for all of the poisonings. Even though you wrote that letter that said that you did it. Well, <laughs> he, he admitted that he wrote the Johnson & Johnson extortion oh, letters. Okay, right, right. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that was me. That was me. Yeah. That was for sure me. Did you like my handwriting? <laughs> what about that little joke at the end? Did you guys laugh? Did you? Was it funny? Was, did you like the smiley face? <laughs> I liked it. But 
he wrote actually two letters. The first was sent to Johnson and Johnson, but the second was actually sent to Ronald Reagan. What? The president. Okay. In the Reagan letter, he warned <laughs> this is this man is unhinged. I like how it's called the Reagan letter. What do you want me to call it? <laughs> I love it. No, just call it the Reagan letter. Okay. In the Reagan letter, he warned that the poisonings would continue if a federal taxation overhaul wasn't conducted. Happy birthday, America. Fireworks. He also, which is my favorite part of this entire episode, JWL threatened to crash remote-controlled airplanes (laughs) into the White House. With bombs attached? Nope. He's just gonna like fly. He's gonna litter. He's gonna litter the South Lawn (laughs) with so many remote control airplanes that they won't be able to come out for a press conference in the Rose Garden, and it's gonna be embarrassing. So they better straighten their act up. Wow, this guy is. I love him. He's something else. He's so he his threat was just a just normal remote control airplanes. Yes, but also you have to. Stop the federal taxation overhaul or I'm going to kill people with more Tylenol. But I didn't kill people with Tylenol. I just wrote the letter that said I did. (laughs) I'm just going to fly remote control airplanes into the White House for fun. (laughs) After he was arrested, he gave a detailed plan on how the capsules could have potentially been injected with cyanide. And he even had these like weird little drawings of like Mm. him depicting like a needle going into a pill. Wow, okay. Yeah. That seems very specific. But he claimed that he was just trying to be a good citizen and that he was in no way responsible and that he didn't do this. Mm-hmm. He's quoted as saying, I could tell you how Julius Caesar was killed, but that doesn't mean I was the killer. Okay, that's that's a valid point, but also, like, I, I don't know how to respond big, to this. Big OJ, if I did it vibes. Yeah. Here's how I did it. Yes. But I didn't do it. But I will fly remote control airplanes <laughs> into the White but House. But I'm s- still going to do that because it sounds like a fucking good time. I also feel like maybe he bought, like, way too much letterhead. And he's like, what do I do with all this? <laughs> he just was giving it out to his friends. <laughs> he didn't actually write those letters. Raymond wrote them. Weirdly, he did. <laughs> That's so crazy. The second most important suspect was a man named Roger Arnold. Also two first names. If he had a third, I would take him more seriously as a killer. Yeah. He was arrested because of an informant tip that he kept cyanide around his house, casually as one does. Okay. Roger Arnold was convicted of the murder of a man named John Sinesha, who he mistook for the person that he was actually trying to murder. (laughs) Wait, so this wasn't even the guy he wanted to kill? No, no, no. He was trying to kill this dude, right? And John yeah. Sinesha, like, wrong place, wrong time, walked through the door. He thought he looked like him for a second? Yeah, and he shot him. What? And was like, oh, shit. Damn it. You're, You're the wrong the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was convicted of that murder because he's like, yeah, I did it. I for sure did it. I didn't mean to. I wanted to kill this other fucking guy, <laughs> but I did kill this guy. You have to respect his honesty, though. I would a little bit. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, what did the other guy do? I was trying to kill this guy, but this guy just got in the way, and I thought it was him, and then, you know what? Fine. I fucking did it. Is that what you want to hear? I did it. Mondays. (laughs) 
So the informant tipped off the the tip line that Roger Arnold was a murderer. Mm-hmm. But it kind of didn't go anywhere because his other murder was just completely unrelated to the Tylenol murders. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he wasn't ever tried in the Tylenol murder case. So he just accidentally killed another guy and someone was like, well, he accidentally killed another person. Maybe he could have been the person who accidentally killed all these other people. Yeah, like once a killer, always a killer. So they did investigate him, but they're like, no, this guy just shot the wrong dude. (laughs) So he's cool, actually. All right. All right. But this this made me wonder, how easy is it to get cyanide? Because this guy casually kept cyanide around his house, mm-hmm. which, you know, again, as one does, right? Who doesn't? I and guess. Jim Jones got a shit ton of it, too. So, so that's a good God. question. Yeah. So then I started Googling and it turns out it was crazy easy to get. And honestly, it's like still not that hard to get. Really? Yeah. It's used in printing. Like, just regular printing. Like, ink printing on paper. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can buy it for, like, I guess to mix into, like, raw dyes. It's used for dyeing fabrics. And it's used heavily in fumigation. So if you wanted to exterminate something, like an animal, not a person, I guess, you could just straight up buy cyanide. A canister of cyanide? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I am definitely on some kind of government watch list because I googled how hard is it to get cyanide? How much cyanide to kill a man? Where can I buy cyanide <laughs> and then my zip code? What forms does cyanide come in? If I eat cyanide today, will I be dead tomorrow? A lot of things about cyanide. So I really hope nobody around you dies from cyanide poisoning because you're going to be fucked. Fucked. Yeah. yeah. So you're all welcome. Because I am officially on a government watch list, and it's for this show, because I love all of you so very much. So if you want cyanide, just hit me up, because then you won't have to Google it, and I'm already on the watch list. (laughs) Don't give anyone cyanide. (laughs) I won't. Call me, okay? Maybe I can help you. Go to www.howcannoellehelpyougetcyanide. Hashtag, quite unusual, dot ink, dot com, backslash, please, I need cyanide right now. It's been a while since we've given people fake uh, web addresses, too. <laughs> That's a real website. I missed it. I've, I've also missed it. It's so stupid, and it's maybe one of my favorite bits. But that's a real website, so you notice me I'm going to do there. The third credible suspect, Lori Dan, was questioned in the late 80s after she shot and poisoned several people in Winnetka, Illinois, which is, again, just another suburb of Chicago. So it's, mm-hmm. like, right here. Yeah. She was ultimately let go for the 1982 murders because there was no direct connection with her and the Tylenol murders, even though she did poison people with cyanide. Just not with the Tylenol bottles. Yeah, like it was just like loose cyanide. You know, it was like casual cyanide. It wasn't in a capsule. Mm. In 1983, the Chicago Tribune released the home address and the location of the grave for the first victim, Mary Kellerman, the 12-year-old girl. Why would they do that? Okay, so they did it thinking that the person responsible for the murders might go to either her gravesite or her former home. Why would you want the murderer to go to your home, though? But a a lot of killers go... I know, but why would you ever disclose your home address? Both sites were being surveilled 24 hours a day by undercover police, hoping that a man would come up... And I'm saying a man, but that was what the profile was. The murderer would come up 
and like kind of like check out the scene of the crime sort Mm -hmm. of and then they could grab him okay still wouldn't feel comfortable with my home address being plastered on the newspapers but okay no but the kellerman signed off on it thinking that maybe it would help so the sites were surveilled for several months but no one ever turned up police also released a photo of a man with a beard a white man with a beard who was standing several feet behind remember victim paula price yeah the flight attendant yeah when she was purchasing the cyanide tampered tylenol there was a man kind of like standing weirdly behind her Mm. and they saw the man in the video Mm -hmm. they released the photo but no one was ever able to identify him and no arrest was made based on the photo. Right. And it's just a man in a Walgreens. You can't really arrest someone based on that. Yeah, that's for sure. In 2009, the investigation was renewed using the latest in forensic technology, mm-hmm. but absolutely no new information or details were released to the public. So if they have new information, we don't know about it, but honestly, they probably don't. Yeah. Very cold. This is a very cold case. One more interesting fact, though, is that they did suspect Ted Kaczynski. Oh, no shit. Uh-huh. The Unabomber, yeah. for those that aren't familiar. Which I, I bet you didn't think that the Unabomber would make an appearance in this episode. I sure shit did not. Well, he was considered a suspect because also, just why the fuck not? I mean, yeah. anyone and everyone at this point. Crazy mm-hmm. man. Let's do He's this. He's around here, too, right? He was. Yeah, he was raised in the Chicago suburbs. Mm-hmm. He was raised in Lombard, which is like yeah. right here. Mm-hmm. So he was asked for DNA samples in 2011, and he did agree to give the FBI samples, but he said, only if you stop the scheduled auction of my belongings. Oh. And the okay. FBI was like, no, we're going to sell all your shit. And he's like, okay, well, then I'm going to keep all my blood. Wow. And nothing fucking happened. Why wouldn't they just be like, yeah, sure, and then get his blood, and then be like, actually, we're going to auction them off now. JK, we're the FBI, and we do whatever the fuck we want. Exactly. You're in jail. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Wow. Yeah. Like I said, he was raised in Lombard, so right here. Mm-hmm. And the first four of the Unabomber attacks took place around Chicago. Oh. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know, like a sort of like long distance murder situation. What was, do you know the timeline of that? Was it around the same time? I don't even know. Yeah. His initial bombing was at, I think, Northwestern, I want to say. Okay. Which is like right fucking here. The college? Yeah. Yeah. It's like right here. Mm -hmm. And it was in 1978. Okay, so this was 82. Yeah, so like right around the same time. Okay. Maybe he like changed his, his MO up a little yeah, bit. possible. So totally logical, in my opinion. And also, like, he was here. He was a weird murder guy. Let's definitely check this out. Yeah. But Ted Kaczynski totally denies ever using cyanide to kill people. He's like, I'm more of a bomb guy, not a poison dude. Yeah, he's a bomb guy. He's that's a bomb for sure. guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. No arrest has ever been made for the Tylenol murders, which is very frustrating. It's very frustrating. And it's so, like, how, I don't understand how. It feels so stupid. It does feel very that stupid. That nothing ever happened. Especially because there have been copycat incidents, and those people have gotten caught. Like, super easily. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, immediately following this case that had shocked the entire nation, Cases of copycats started sprouting up all over the country because no one is original. Okay. We've been over this in past episodes. <laughs> Happy birthday, America, by the way. Fireworks. Um, 
if you're going to kill someone, which we do not condone. No, not at all. Fucking do it originally. Do not copycat. Do not copycat. Don't be a copycat. It's so lame. Be like an original murderer if you're going to fucking do it. Or just don't murder also a great option to be completely honest or just don't murder people that's also a great option yeah but if you're going to do it on your own terms <laughs> okay be original at least right i right. mean don't i guess don't murder is the main right that's the main takeaway here the main takeaway is don't murder people but if you're gonna do it like just like do it in your own way don't copy someone else. oh my god so lame <laughs> Well, some people used Tylenol and others just used over-the-counter medication, but no incident was as deadly as the 1982 murders in Chicago. So first we have the case of Stella Nickel in 1986 in Seattle, Washington. Stella laced several bottles of Excedrin with cyanide in an attempt to murder her husband and get away with it. Stella's husband, Bruce Nickel, was murdered by cyanide poisoning, as well as another woman named Susan Snow, who was a 40-year-old bank manager who was really just collateral damage from Stella's murderous plan. Did you know that Susan Snow was Jon Snow's cousin? It is known. You know nothing. (laughs) Bruce Nickel was 52 at the time of his death, and at first his death was ruled to be by natural causes with attending physicians citing emphysema as the reason. Mm, which I guess kind of aligns with the whole suffocating Can't thing. Can't breathe. Yeah, 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 yeah. In an autopsy of Susan Snow, the smell of almonds was detected, and cyanide was cited as the cause of death. Investigators searched her house and found the tainted bottle of Excedrin. In response to the publicity, Stella came forward with the belief that her husband may have also died from a tainted bottle of Excedrin. Oh, no shit, Stella. Are mm. you serious? Yeah. You really think that's a possibility? Yeah. Mm, okay. Tests confirmed this to be true, and police had a Chicago Tylenol murder copycat on their hands. Mm. Stella and Susan's family filed wrongful death lawsuits against the company, but there was no evidence to suggest that the contamination would have happened at the factory. But still, like with the Tylenol, Excedrin bottles were pulled from the shelves and Washington State put into effect a 90-day ban on the sale of non-prescription medication and capsules. That's a really great response, though, from it the is, state. It is. A very, I think yeah. they learned from Chicago and they were like, we need to do something now. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, a, the good way to act. Oh, fully. And like Washington State seems like a dreamland. I would like to live there. Stella was asked to take a polygraph test, which she refused, stating she was in no mental condition. Mm. Which, I mean, I get it. I get I We all get it. I guess so. But Stella had also taken out a $76,000 insurance policy on her husband, which is around $186,000 in today's money. Okay, so like $200,000 insurance policy basically. Yeah, with an additional $100,000 payout if his death was accidental. Whoopsie. Before Susan's death, actually, Stella was already disputing the doctor's findings that her husband had died of natural causes. Okay. Cuz she wouldn't get that hot 100 
grand. That's super suspicious, dude. Yeah. Like, t- take the 200000 Also, if she never brought it up in the first place uh-huh. that he, she thought he might have also died from the Excendrid uh-huh. contamination, she could have just gotten away with the oh, $76,000, like, easily. easily. But she had to be greedy. Easily. She was greedy. Stella. <laughs> You're so greedy. But still, authorities did not have any concrete evidence to prove that Stella had any involvement with her husband's death. Until a year later, when her daughter came forward with some important information. She told police that her mother, Stella, had told her many times that she wanted Bruce dead. Oh my god. Because Stella was bored with him after he quit drinking. What? Because she was still a heavy drinker, and she found sober Bruce to be no fun. Holy shit. Bruce was trying to get his life together, Mm -hmm. and Stella's like, "Mm mm-mm. That's boring. Yeah. Wow. Wild. Her daughter told police that Stella had even told her that she tried to poison Bruce with foxglove hidden in pills but had failed, which led her to the library to research other methods on poison. And that's when she came across cyanide poisoning. Man, the good old days where you couldn't be on some sort of government watch list. Because you just went to the library and you looked at a book that said, cyanide, this is how you get it. This is how you kill a man. Instead of Googling it on your iPhone. Well, there's still library records, though. that. She also said her mother spoke all the time about what they could do with all the insurance money Bruce would leave them if he died. So sloppy. Yeah. Library records were subpoenaed and it was discovered that her claims were backed up. Stella had checked out a bunch of books on poison, including a book called Human Poisonings from Native and Cultivated Plants and Deadly Harvest. Okay, look, I don't want to tell anyone how to like do research on how to kill their husband right now, but if you're going to look at a book on it, maybe look at it in the library and like yeah. write down some notes. <laughs> don't, don't check, check it, it out. out with your real name. Don't write your name on like that little card that they no. put on the inside of like the front cover. Just Maybe steal the book if you need to bring it home. Or that. Or that. Whatever you're doing about... Don't don't be a me or a Stella and don't leave a paper trail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's your first mistake. Stella was indicted by a federal grand jury on five counts of product tampering, including two which resulted in the deaths of Bruce and Susan Snow. And she was arrested. Good. Stella was found guilty on all counts and sentenced to 90 years in prison for the murder of Bruce and Susan and three 10-year terms for product tampering, all to run simultaneously, which seems kind of pointless to me. It seems like a like they did it on purpose to yeah. like be dramatic. It's like a lawyer thing that I don't think I understand, but I think if a lawyer explained it it would be like oh okay yeah well i recently watched um legally blonde red white and blue oh are you qualified now yes i am (laughs) i would say i am um a law student under l woods Mm. and i can say that this does check out affidavit all right all right we believe you what's another lawyer word filibuster (laughs) (laughs) yes i don't filibuster affidavit filibuster therefore here in libel guilty you may continue (laughs) stella also had to pay a fine and had to forfeit her assets to the families of her victims stella was eligible for parole in 2018 when she was 75 
but she's currently housed at a female low-security institution in California. Her release date is July 10th, 2040. So I just want to say something ironic here. Mm-hmm. So Stella thought Bruce was super boring because he was yeah. super sober. Yeah. And now she's in prison. Yeah. Where the only access she has is Pruno to yeah. alcohol. Yeah. And I'm wondering, does Stella either make a fine prison wine? Oh, she does. With the name of Stella, I'm sure she's got her own label and everything. Oh, you know what? I want to believe it. Yeah. It's like, I kind of want to try it, to be honest. Like, I know she murdered a bunch of people or whatever. It's like definitely made in her toilet, but whatever. Oh, well, like, yeah, like in a sock with like, yeah, yeah, who knows what's in that. fruit and shit. But Mm -hmm. it's Stella's signature. Stella's wines. And you got to try it. She's got her own prison winery. Oh, my God. It's so kind of fun, right? You know what? Good for her. That same year, a woman from Yonkers, so 1986, Mm -hmm. four years after the Chicago Tylenol murders, a woman from Yonkers, New York, died after taking an extra-strength Tylenol capsule laced with cyanide. But there isn't much info about this case, so I'm pretty sure that she was the only one, luckily, because I couldn't really find any other deaths. Yeah. So maybe it was just, like, a freak thing, and it was just one bottle. I don't know. Yeah. Also, I refuse to believe that Yonkers is a real place, because it sounds made up. (laughs) It does sound made up. But I kind of like it. Yonkers. I just imagine that most of the population is geese. Yonkers. Sounds right, doesn't it? Or, like, just super crazy. Yeah. It's like half like those white geese with like the really orange bills. Yeah. And then also half crazy people. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at. Everyone's yonkers. What? Another copycat emerged in 1993. A man named Joseph Melling tried to kill his wife using the Stella Nickel method. Oh, only this time by tampering with Sudafed. Mm. He had taken out a $700,000 insurance policy on his wife, which it's just like the stupidest thing you can do. Yeah. Watch one Forensic Files episode, just one. And every single time it's some stupid husband taking out an insurance policy on his wife like a month before her mysterious death. Yeah, dude. Like, buddy. We know it's you. It's for sure you. It's totally you. You got to play the long game here. Again, not to tell anyone how to murder their spouse, (laughs) but you got to give it like three to four years. At least three. Minimum. And you also have to have the same um, like policy against yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just be like. Take them both out at the same time. Like mine's only 80,000, but yours is a million (laughs) dollars. And I got it last week and now you're dead. Right. Play the long it's fucking game, bro. It's obvious. I mean, don't murder your spouse. Yeah. We're Whatever. Not, we're not trying to tell you how to murder someone, but technically just... we cannot legally advise you either way. Again, I saw Legally Blonde recently. Ben Snap says that by decree, <laughs> you cannot give advice over a podcast. That's not how that works. Yeah. It's not legal or binding. But maybe, maybe. Consider a few months after you take out yeah, the insurance policy. Yeah, at least like a couple years. Ten days. Yeah. That's all we're asking. All. Filibuster. Libel. <laughs> you may continue. Anyways, he laced five boxes of Sudafed capsules with cyanide and planted them on shelves of stores in western Washington. And then he laced the box that his wife had at home. Joseph ended up killing two random innocent people with the boxes he planted in stores. But his wife 
She survived the poison. No. And ended up divorcing his sorry ass. Hell yeah, girl. But then went back to him. What? And now doesn't think that he's guilty. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I literally read it and I was like, okay, yeah, good for you. I was like, but now she's back with him and they did marriage counseling and everything's okay. No. Yeah. She's an idiot. Whatever. I hope she takes out a huge ironic insurance policy against him. (laughs) Joseph Melling, 31 at the time, was charged with six counts of product tampering, plus two counts of perjury and three of insurance fraud. He was sentenced to life in prison. Oh, so he's in prison. And his wife's still with him. Okay. Last I, I heard. Where is she? I'm going to take her out for a drink and we're going to have a yeah. little chat. She needs she needs a, some girl talk for we, sure. <laughs> we need like a girl's night, you know? Right. Yeah. We need some Estella's wine. Oh, yeah. A girl's night. We'll we got Stella. this. It's going to be fine. After the initial news came out that the vehicle behind the poisoning was extra shrink Tylenol, the manufacturers, Johnson and also Johnson, went into full PR mode. Johnson was totally on board. And Johnson was like, mm, I don't know. The other Johnson. Mm-hmm. The bad Johnson. Yeah. Good Johnson was like, ew, I think that we should maybe. Pull all of it, yes. Call yes. the PR agents. And the other Johnson was like, meh. We're not really on the hook for anything here. So like, Keep him on the shelves. Who the fuck is? <laughs> love how his voice has just changed. <laughs> Who the fuck is? Nevertheless, that's what an evil guy would sound like. Yeah, totally. Like a conniving little Johnson. Yeah. Nevertheless, their reaction was heavy-handed and very swift. It is literally, like literally all capital letters, literally taught in schools. Like it is the textbook example on how to handle situations like this. Mm. Once it was determined that this had been what the police were calling the mad poisoner event and not a tampering that had occurred in the supply line, there was really only one thing for Johnson and Johnson to do. Mm-hmm. They considered just rolling with it and being like, well, it wasn't us. That was bad Johnson. But then good Johnson was <laughs> like, actually, let's do something. And the company pulled 31 million bottles of extra strength Tylenol off the shelves throughout North America. Every single bottle was recalled. They were unable to determine which bottles would have been poisoned. So to ease the public's mind, they recalled all of it to the tune of $100 million in retail product. They're okay. They're Johnson and Johnson. Oh, yeah. They're fine, dude. Yeah. That I had to look it up because I was like, a million dollars in the 80s. What was that now? That's almost $300 million (sighs) in real today money. But again, they're Johnson and Johnson. Well, yeah. And they had that whole asbestos thing in the talc powder, too. So, yeah. They're like, we're fucking you over as best as we can. (laughs) Asbestos. The company also took their commercials off the air while the crisis was occurring. They wanted the public to think as little about their product as possible during the time being. They wanted no buzzwords, no billboards, no advertisements. Tylenol, out of your mind. That's good marketing right there. Johnson and the other Johnson even considered changing the name of Tylenol to avoid any further connection. Mm, That's shady, though. It's very rash. But it led me down a rabbit hole to find out why Tylenol's named Tylenol. Because have you ever thought about that? No, not at all. Actually, <laughs> it's acetaminophen. So why is it called Tylenol? I don't know. 
Please enlighten us. I will. The chemical name for acetaminophen is 4 acetaminol phenol. So they took the middle part, T Y L, acetaminophen, the tie. Okay. And they pulled that out. And they took the second half of the second word, phenol, which is super fun. So Tylenol comes out of acetaminophenol. So they basically just picked random words, random letters from two words and put it together to make a word. Fully. (laughs) Okay. I feel like that was like the funnest marketing meeting of all time. Like, what do we name it? I I don't know. It just seems wild to me and also really clever. I feel like they could have come up with something better. Like acenol or like aminophil. It all sounds the same, but like Tylenol is like so, I don't know. I just think it's sort of fun. As a result of all of the tampering going on, the company changed their packaging to become more tamper-proof. Did you know, Nicole, which I did not before doing this research, Mm -hmm. that the way that you bought pills before 1982, well, and also 1982 and beforehand, was that you literally got loose pills that you took out of a burlap sack and you just put in your hand or your pocket or your purse... Or whatever your preferred carrying method was. Like, just, like, a loose handful of pills. They just had, like, coffee beans, but, like, Mm -hmm. pills, and you would just, like, scoop out. Yeah, like, you put, like, a quarter in a machine, and, like, a handful of pills came out. No, I did not know that. No, no, that was a total joke. That's not real. Fuck you. I'm sorry. I just, the the mental image was so funny. Mm. But the bottles weren't sealed at all, and the Mm. box that the bottles came in also wasn't sealed. It was like a regular, like, where the top just kind of like shoves in there. I don't know what you would call that, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like, I'm going to make this noise right now. It just, like, folds into it. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a foldy box. Yeah. It's like a regular foldy box. Everyone knows a foldy box. Who doesn't know a foldy box? Everyone does. So you could open the box, you could open the bottle, you could sniff it, you could spit in it, you could put cyanide in it, Mm. close it all back up, and no one would notice exactly, like, what happened here. So going forward, all of the bottles became triple sealed. The bottle had a cotton wad inside on top of the pills, which I guess from my research, you're not supposed to eat the cotton. You're not? Yeah, news to me. (laughs) There were also press sealed foil on the top, so it was totally just sealed, and you you could obviously tell. You know what I'm talking about, where yeah. like you have to peel like the little right, right, right. peel off. And the regular cap was replaced with a childproof cap, which is a pain in the fucking ass to open, and sometimes <sighs> I truly cannot open. Same. I thought I was the only adult that could no. trouble doing that, okay? No, childproof stuff is very so hard to open. Hard. Yeah. Um, yeah I didn't do my laundry for a week because I couldn't open a new bottle of Tide Pods. I would just, like, have stabbed a... <laughs> I was like, what am I supposed to eat? <laughs> How am I supposed to do the Tide Pod challenge now? <laughs> so they also added a plastic strip on top of the cap to seal it all in. You know, the little one that you pull the perforated edge on? Yeah. You feel amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the boxes were now glued shut. They weren't just the regular old-style foldy box. Mm. This was very, very reassuring to people. They went from absolutely no protection to layer on layer of protection. You know, like like an onion, like Shrek? Mm, I prefer to think of him as a cake. Cakes have layers, too. Well, ogres are like onions, Nicole. They're cakes. I also watched Shrek yesterday. <laughs> it was a good movie day for you, wasn't it? The second Legally Blonde in the first Shrek. And Austin Powers. And Austin. Oh, my God. What did I Damn. do yesterday? Clearly nothing. I should have done more stuff that was more productive. (laughs) (laughs) 
In November of 1983, the capsule, which was literally two pieces. I'm going to say that again because why did I say it like that? Capsule. I liked it, though. Thank you. In November of 1983, the capsule, which was literally two pieces of, like, a plasticky capsule. Like, do you, you know... You could picture a capsule. Yeah, like you can buy like, like the, the quintessential pill. Right, you can buy empty ones and then fill them with whatever you want. Like cyanide or like whatever you got. Yeah, totally. If you want like, like cyanide pills. Yeah, nobody fine. cares. So, which is very easy to get, apparently, <laughs> if you Google it. Just go to um, the following. Stop. Website. Okay. So they used to come in these little two piece plasticky little capsules that you pull apart and they go weird. back together. It's like the quintessential pill. I know, but nowadays it's not. Like I was thinking like the gels, like you know how you can get like the uh-huh. tan gels? That's how I was picturing in my head this whole time. Yes. Well, in 1983, they replaced all capsules with the caplets, which are like the little candy coated ones. Oh. You know, the ones that taste like candy and look like candy, but Delicious. I guess yeah. Yeah, like they're not candy. You're not supposed to eat handfuls of them. You're not? No. I know. It's like I'm learning so many things. Wow. This is the year of realizing things. The world makes sense again. It's insane. Or the gel caps. They also, which is, again, one solid piece yeah. that you can't pull apart and, yeah. like, fill with poison. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is, again, very easy to get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Johnson & Johnson worked with the FDA to establish new tamper-proof guidelines that would be used across the board in all pharmaceuticals. Additionally, tampering became a federal crime. Because of this, our little copycat, Stella Nichols, mm-hmm. got 90 years in prison instead of just like a firm talking to, I guess, <laughs> is what she probably would have gotten if this wasn't a federal crime. Wasn't it called like, I think Congress, it was actually called the Tylenol Bill. Yeah, it was the <laughs> Tylenol Bill. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Tylenol's like, nope, maybe we no. don't call it that because we don't want to associate. <laughs> right. But I mean, it didn't ruin them. We all still take Tylenol. So this wasn't the only industry that began using tamper-proof packaging. Did you know, and this is real, okay, I'm not fucking around this okay, time. Okay, Did you know that milk and juice didn't have like that little seal or the ring on the cap? Prior to 1983. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Like, you could literally open a gallon of milk, take a swig. Drink it in the grocery store. Put it it back on the shelf, and no one would know unless they saw you do it. That's how I feel about grapes, because people literally just eat grapes out of the bag. And every time I buy grapes, I'm like, somebody could easily inject this grape with something. And I hope I'm not giving anyone ideas right now. But it scares me to buy grapes. Nicole. What? I don't eat fruit in the grocery store i used to be a huge grape eater and like blueberries all of it i would open that package yeah eat a strawberry some people do it and taste it and then put it back like i've seen people do that too yeah it's amazing but i don't do it anymore because i wear a mask to the grocery store yeah but like back in the day like i have literally seen a man take a bag of grapes Uh off of a shelf pop a couple in his mouth close it and put it back was he looking for a snack I mean, obviously, he got one, but it, like, I it stopped me from buying grapes for so long. What? And I love grapes. Oh man! But then I started freezing them, hoping that that would like kill the cyanide, kill whatever is them. in there. And I don't know. It's stupid logic. But frozen grapes are delicious. They're so. very good. Have you ever had those ones that are supposed to taste like cotton candy? Yeah. Yes. They're, they're fucking amazing. tight, dude. They're so good. So good. Like grape of all grapes. Yes. Anyways. Um, aside from grapes, everything else is now tamper-proof, pretty much. 
Across the board, other companies took notice and they started implementing their own tamper-proof technology. And by default, they also invented my cat's absolute favorite toy. That little Aww. tiny the little tiny ring yes. from the milk gallon lid. Milk, yeah. Mm-hmm. So thanks, Tylenol Murders. Yeah. That's the silver lining to all of this. <laughs> it's the little ring that cats play with. No. And if you've stuck with us through all of the background fireworks of this episode, that was the Chicago Tylenol murders, a cold case that to this day has never been solved. What? Yeah. Maybe so, it will one day. That's sort of fun. Maybe. Maybe if they ever get Ted Kaczynski's DNA. They won't because they auctioned off all of yeah. his fucking shit. They auctioned off his shit. Big mistake, FBI. <laughs> But we do have a listener mail, as always, for you guys. So, here goes. Here goes. This week's listener mail comes in the form of an Instagram DM, which we always freaking tell you guys. Slippery slide into our DMs. And do so, and we'll read your listener mail on Zipad. We will. So, this Instagram DM listener mail comes from Tina H. She starts, Okay, here goes. As a kid, my family would go camping every year to the same campground in Adams, Tennessee. It was usually Memorial Day weekend, which is also my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, teens. Following my 12th birthday at the campground, I refused to go back for another six years after what happened one night. I love this. I love a good campground horror story. A little background. Yeah. The owner of the campground claimed that if you go to the top of this particular hill after midnight, then you can see the spirits roaming through the fields. As a matter of fact, in previous years, we had gone out to the field with our parents before. My stepdad drove around as we all peered out the window looking for ghosts or spirits, but we never saw anything. So I just knew that this was a load of crap coming from the owner because the town is a literal tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Adams, Tennessee is home to the Bell Witch haunting. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. The Bell, Witch. The Bell Witch. She's on our list. She's on our list. We're gonna we're gonna cover her. One day. We will. We'll do it. In the Bell Witch Cave is only a short drive away. My own mom had a story about her visit to the Bell Witch Cave as a teenager, where someone she was with took a rock from the cave. And a series of unfortunate events followed. Basically, things kept happening where they couldn't leave the property. The car wouldn't start. They got a flat tire, etc. After returning the rock back to the cave, they were able to leave. I think I've heard a similar story to that, Mm -hmm. actually. I think that happens a lot with the Bell Witch. Sort of a Bell Witch thing. Yeah. So needless to say, at 12 years old, this was just a spooky tale to me. I had never seen anything with my own eyes until now. That night, my cousin and my little boyfriend at the time, so cute, all decided we were going to go to the top of that hill after midnight so we could see the spirits. When it was time to leave, all the adults were still awake and drunk, definitely. I mean, Typical. you're camping, so, like, what else are you yeah, going to do, right? Parents, <laughs> my parents always did the same thing. So. Got to. So they were all drunk and awake at the campground. Looking back, we probably should have let them know what we were doing. But we just left our little lantern and our flashlight. But we just left with our little lantern and flashlight. All of us completely certain that we would see nothing. 
The moment we stepped on top of that hill, we froze. In the center of the field were about 10 to 12 figures, <gasps> kneeling with their heads down. All of them were wearing hooded black cloaks. What? Except for the one in the front center, whose cloak was red. No. As we stood there watching, they all slowly rose from a kneeling position to a standing position. But we had seen enough! We took off before they could stand completely erect. I have never run so fast in my life. I actually lost the shoe and the lantern on the way back because I was not stopping or slowing down for anything. <laughs> I love that. She's just like, fuck it. I'll get new shoes. Who gives a the fucking lantern, shit? It's done. It's dead. Yeah, that's right. When we got back to the campsite, we were all super shaken up and we had to catch our breath. We went inside a tent just to calm down away from the drunken and still partying parents and finally talk about what we had seen. I mostly just wanted to know that we all saw the same thing, which we did. But it didn't stop there. When I closed my eyes where I would normally see black, I saw red. No. Remember, we're not by the fire. We're inside of a tent. And in the middle of that red background was this thing that looked like a fleshy nub. Sort of like a thumb, but without the nail. This nub was suspended by a tiny black string that began twisting around in all of these creepy, unsettling directions. So I said, when I close my eyes, I see this weird, and my cousin finished the sentence. Nub? Oh my god, you see it too. No. And I was like, yeah, and the strings are, and she said, twisting all around? It was a creep, fireworks. It was the creepiest thing I have ever experienced. She and I recently talked about it again. After 20 years, we still recall everything exactly the same. I have no idea if it was Bell Witch related, but it was definitely not friendly. I learned my lesson that night, and I have never seeked out anything in the spirit world ever again. Whoa. That's a good-ass story, that dude. That is a good story. It's such a good listener mail. Yeah. So good. And we chatted about the bell witch and everything. And Ooh, it's a very good story. Can't wait to do it. If you can't have wait. a spooky campfire story, or maybe you saw a bell witch, or maybe sometimes you close your eyes and you see like a little nub, but it's like not a thumb or a dick or whatever. Um, <laughs> we want to know about it. Yeah. So send us your listener mail, your creepy experiences, alien abductions, whatever. You can send that to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have an email, quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you guys. We, so please let us know. We love it. We love chatting to you all. So let us know all of your creepy, spooky stories. And if you want to write us a letter or maybe send us a little gifty or anything, whatever, send it to our P.O. Box. P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. And if you like what you hear and you want to support us in the podcast, we do have a Patreon. We sure do. So, so we have a bunch of different tiers to choose from. But we also have some new members mm-hmm. that we would like to welcome to our coven. Welcome to Justin W. Welcome to Jadina T. And welcome to Delaney R. Welcome to the coven. Welcome, witches. And remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Happy birthday, dear America. 
Happy birthday, you stupid bitch. <laughs>
Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We are nothing in this useless war. We're not worthy. We're not worthy for you. We're not worthy for anything. Bombs, take us away. Take us away. <laughs> We're not worthy. Holy shit, that's a lot of bombs. That's, that's a big one. That's sure. just, I'm, gonna, I'm so tired. I'm going <laughs> to sleep tonight.